Coming to you from Silicon Valley, I'm Marcus Edwards, and I'm on the hunt for recruiting leaders, producers, innovators, and pioneers who've made their mark on the industry and can't wait to share their points of view. We'll tackle the tough topics and dig deep to find the answers you're looking for and some actionable advice you can take to the bank. So stick around and stay tuned, and welcome to Recruiting Trailblazers. Very excited to welcome my guest today to Recruiting Trailblazers. Hannah Jane has over 17 years in talent acquisition, leadership, and people operations. She's a talent business partner for Team Union, who specialize in not only recruiting for startups, but also creating processes, best practices, and policy to help companies succeed throughout the entire recruiting and hiring process. So welcome to the podcast, Hannah Jane. How are you? Thank you so much, uh, Marcus. I'm, I'm doing really well. I am excited to be here. Excellent stuff. Good. Well, we've been planning this for a couple of weeks now, so let's kick it off. Um, your company operates as a fractional recruitment and HR partner, as opposed to a traditional agency or RPO. And as such, you offer a suite of services that kind of goes well beyond the usual agency value proposition. Um and I guess it's predominantly aimed at companies who don't really have a talent strategy or a delivery engine installed yet. So I thought you'd be uniquely positioned to share some best practices and advice about setting the table for success um, that I imagine in-house recruiters and agency recruiters alike will probably find very valuable. So the three areas we're going to shine some light on today are one, the intake call and strategy, two, the interview process and how you coach your clients to perform effective and successful interviews, and three, if we have time, some outreach best practices. Great. But just to kick us off, can you just briefly describe the services you offer as a fractional recruiting partner, sort of in a nutshell? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So what we have found working specifically in tech startups uh, in the U.S. market is uh, that most businesses understand culture and the needs of, you know, what their people, what their team need to really grow. And and we will we understand and we're able to fill those business needs. So we work as if we're an in-house, uh, you know, fractional team. We charge subscription versus percentage uh, or retainer to be affordable for startups. And recruiters need someone in the background, even if they are you know, new in their role, they still need someone helping to build that strategy from an employer brand all the way to comp planning. And that's where we come in. So we're really help, helping uh, startups move from reactive to proactive with both talent management and human resources across the board and people operations. So seed to series C is typically what we work with, but uh, it could be coming in and doing some of the administrative work to let the recruiter or the HR director focus on the strategic work, or we can come in and, and really build out the entire program function, best practices and policies with the founders. Right. So effectively, your company's like an RPO on steroids. That's a great way to put it. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Excellent. Well, let's start off with the intake call, because I know that's a big part of what you do for your clients. And, and also, this is really where you set the table for a successful search. But before we get into the type of questions that you ask at the intake stage, what's your mindset, you know, regarding key objectives at the intake call stage, you know, beyond just establishing skills and experience required? Yeah, it, it's really um, my perspective on coming into an intake is we should come in 
prepared. Uh, we can't be a subject matter expert until we meet with the team, until we know them, we know their personalities, really what they're looking for in the business objectives that this role will ultimately fulfill. But uh, we can do our research, right? Get to know the founders or the hiring managers that we're reaching out to. Hopefully, we know the industry very well already. So we've got some subject matter expertise we can bring to the table and some data as well so that we're coming into the conversation well-informed. Um, but ideally, we set up an intake form with a template uh, that we, we've used uh, on numerous occasions, and we will customize it based on the actual role and need. But it's typically an hour to an hour and 15 minutes. And then in addition to that, we also do a full client onboarding session, you know, introducing them to our tools because we do build all of these tools and processes uh, for them. So that's kind of a separate conversation. Um, and really what we build is a rubric that is approved either by a CEO or the founder or executive team versus, say, a recruiting team or no one in some instances. And uh, if the company already has some pillars in place to help define their culture or company values or leveling guides, we try to gather that information and help that or, and use that to help define like how we're going to start, where we're going to start uh, when we begin that conversation. How important is it to you to sort of figure out what it's actually like to work there? What it's actually like to be on a desk, to work under whoever the supervisor or hiring manager is, to be a part of a team and collaborate? How important is it for you to really get a feel for the, all of that stuff? Personally, it's very important. Um, and that's based off of my experience of, you know, hits and misses. When I know a lot about it and I can speak to it um, without assumption and I'm not I'm doing air quotes as if you can see me, but if uh, not speaking as if I'm trying to sell something to someone, if I know what they're walking into and it aligns with what this person is excited about, what they like or what they're looking for, great. Um, it helps me close that deal and get them excited even more. And if they're sitting there telling me that they dislike X, Y, and Z, and they're trying to avoid different companies that do X, Y, and Z, I can tell them from the beginning I think you're amazing or whatever that situation is, but this company will put you in this position again. Um, you might run into X, Y, and Z here. Is that something you're comfortable with or that is, is, is the role enough for you to put up with something that you don't like or that you're trying to avoid? And so it's just having those real transparent conversations that do really help you find folks that will resonate with the mission, the, the vibe of the company and culture, uh, and just do really well in full. Yeah. Yeah. And I think candidates are a lot more picky these days. I think great talent wants to land at great companies. And that's not just about, you know, what the company's producing in terms of its product or its service, but how yeah. they're going to be treated. You know, what right. the mission of the company is, what its purpose, what its culture feels like. And I think as a recruiter these days, it's really important to understand, you know, all four corners of the opportunity from different perspectives, not just what you're going to be expected to do, right? I, I absolutely agree, too. And I mean, the cost of, you know, someone coming in thinking, I can do all of these hard skills, I've done it before, or it's something I'm going to be able to do, but we don't really hit on any of those soft skill areas or what the culture is like, or the leadership is like, the level of fidelity or transparency within the organization, they come in and they don't like it. One, it's it's hard on our brand because we didn't do our due diligence. Um, in addition to that, it also affects the team greatly. You know, it, the cost of churn is extremely high. Um, it really builds uh, up against, you know, the morale of the team as well when you have this constant churn. And so if, if we get recruiting right from day one and put in that initial investment, 
by really understanding these key points and understanding what the motivators are, um, it, it pays off in the long run, you know, not even talking about money, just about morale in general. Yeah, I think when I first started off as a recruiter, I would just ask the client about the skills and experience they were looking for. Yeah. And, and, and you know, maybe, you know, what's, what's the culture like? But yeah. I think these days, as I sort of matured as a recruiter, I'm far more interested in what's in it for the candidate and, and what it looks like to be on that journey inside that organization with that team, with that management, et cetera. And, and far less sort of like interested in, in the skills and experience. I know they have a place. Absolutely. Um, and we'll, we'll get into that. But I actually think that sometimes, maybe a lot of the time, hiring managers can be very idealistic. And, and so it's very important to be able to push back sometimes against the laundry list of skills and experience that they're looking for or the requisite profile that they're looking for. Um, because oftentimes it's just, you know, unrealistic. What are your thoughts? I think you're right again. Um, I, I would say that typically the folks that we're working with in at Union, uh, they come to us for specific reasons. They've either heard about us through word of mouth or they're looking to become more people focused. They are coming to us as subject matter experts. And so most of them come to us asking the questions of help us do this better. Right. And so most of them have been really easy to work with. But I've had my fair share of, you know, we want the purple unicorns uh, for these roles. And it's my um, advice and what I have found really works well is, is coming into the conversation with these founders or hiring managers uh, with a lot of empathy. Um, and it's understanding that they're looking at this from a very specific perspective. Um, they don't understand everything that we do. This is what we focus on 100% of the time. And it's it's being able to bring data to the table. Um, it's being able to ask the right questions. It's being able to say, Let's talk through what's worked and what hasn't in the past, and let's identify where there's potential challenges and where there's potential opportunity for improvement to not only change, like, you know, say the diversity of the types of candidates we're working with, but also prioritize that laundry list. You know, what can we cut? Um, what is most important? And try to educate and consult on when we're grading or really judging the candidates that we're interviewing throughout the process is that we're scoring them against the scorecard, right? Or we're scoring them against the outcomes that we've built through this intake form that we know are attached to the actual outcomes of the business instead of to each other or to the other candidates or the other people they've worked with. And it doesn't always remove the bias um, or the anchor bias, but it does help to start planting that seed. So when they are starting to ask questions that might you know, repeat the pattern of, oh, this is the same type of person I've hired every time. We're, we're, we're constantly hiring people from the same background. It starts to plant that seed of why um, and why couldn't we do something different? Yeah. And I think it's important for recruiters to really get in there and push the borders of, of every particular opportunity to figure out what really is most important and, mm -hmm. and whether or not, you know, five or seven years experience is absolutely imperative in that particular instance. And I'm actually, I confess to being a fan of hire for attitude, trained for skills, because I actually think hiring managers sometimes tend to hire defensively and look only at candidates who would be making a lateral move. I have seen that. Um, I, I feel like in the startup space, there is still a, a level of need for some of this. Uh, because again, there isn't a lot of room if you look at a lean team to train, right? They don't have the extra time. They don't have the extra budget to train someone on something. 
So again, I think it's reprioritizing, but I do agree. I think that there is a personality trait that you can have specifically to work in startups, which is just like being innately curious. Um, is this person proactive? Will they be able to jump in and do the research on their own to learn the new things? Can they build their own knowledge um, on the job and will they absorb it quickly enough? And so it's finding the right types of questions and it's listening instead of asking leading questions to the candidates to be able to identify, like, is this your true personality? Will you be able to dive in and survive if there isn't a lot of training in those situations? Well, I, I think defensive recruiting is doing exactly that, just looking for people who are already doing the same job somewhere else. And then you have to say to the client, you know, why would somebody who's already doing this job somewhere else want to come and join you? Is it going to be, you know, a huge increase in salary or opportunity? Um, you really have to define that in absolute terms if you're going to the market and looking for lateral moving candidates. Whereas I think creative recruiting is much more about looking at a group of candidates to whom this opportunity would represent a step up. And, and then Correct. it becomes a lot more attractive to that group of candidates. And they don't have to be inferior but they could have a different set of skills. They could have slightly less experience. Like I said, you know, different blend. And to me, those are much more interesting conversations than, no, I have to have someone who's already doing exactly the same job elsewhere. Right. Um, the bigger picture question, um, when you're faced with those types of conversations with hiring managers or, or companies is, well, how soon do you think you will be backfilling this role? Because this person likely will have to move up or they will be bored with what they're doing because they have been doing it for you know X amount of time if they're making a lateral move or are we not pushing for growth? And so I think that ties back to really understanding the dynamics of the company, um, what the, the growth trajectory is for this person and what the real expectations are. Do they want someone for one more year or do they want someone for three years? And so I think asking those questions um, again, makes sense. Is there an opportunity for this person to stick? Um, I usually say for stickativity. So is that based off of growth? Is that based off of they really are going to flourish in this, you know, mid-level position for the next five years? Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Lots of That's your made up word, stickativity. Didn't you make that up? I think I, I don't know. I found it on Urban Dictionary when I was asked the other day, um, but I've said it forever. And it's essentially, you know, let's hire for stickativity. Let's find a way to be able to match these core, you know, wants and desires and goals. Um, it's a lot to ask for. You know, recruiting is very hard to hire for stickativity. Um, it's a great question, actually. Rather than, you know, what's going to make people join or in addition to what's going to tempt or make or lure people to want to join this organization, what's going to keep them here? That's absolutely critical. And that actually goes a lot back to what we were saying earlier about mission and culture and purpose. I think you can get somebody through the front door, you know, with a great salary and a great opportunity, but you can keep them there if you have a wonderful mission and a meaningful purpose and a great culture where everybody treats each other extremely well, which is my definition of culture. Right. So yeah, that's, that's good stuff. How do you get people to stay here is just as important. Yeah, it absolutely is. And the benefit of uh, you know working with my team now is that we are so well tooled and equipped to help them revamp some of these processes if it isn't something that they currently have within their company. And a lot of startups, again, do not because they are working on build the product, then worry about the people. Um, and and as you said, 
talent is being much more picky. And I think it's a great movement. I believe they should be. Um, And if they want people to stick, they have to have trust and transparency and they have to build a, a culture of internal fidelity and transparency in order to make people feel heard valued and, uh, you know, something they want to continue to contribute to. Okay. So do you have all of this templated and do you have like checklists and is any of that stuff like available to be shared? It is. Um, so yeah, we've built templates essentially for everything. And again, everything is somewhat subjective, um, to the actual role and every role is very different from the next. So they are going to change, but there's a bare bones template that we have specifically for recruiting and a full well-oiled machine. I mean, we work very, very much so in a a strategic way. We have everything set up to the point where I know how many screens I need to do or phone screens I need to do to produce three hiring manager interviews by the 10th day of the search. And it's, it's down to a science based on data. And of course, there will be roles that don't fit into that mold. But uh, yeah, we're, we're very data focused. So we found what works and then we, we copy it and automate it as much as we can. I'm a big fan of that reverse engineering out of a, an outcome that you're seeking by using historical recruiting success ratios, I think is a great plan for anybody and, and a great way that I've trained people previously to make sure they hit their quarterly targets. Because ultimately, you need to know at what cadence and at what scale you need to be executing on to drive a predictable result, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that if if I if we wanted to be a one-man show forever, we we wouldn't have to worry about that. But obviously, that's not the point of startups in, in general. But yes, we're looking to be able to duplicate what works. There's a lot of, um, like you said, reverse engineering, but there's also a lot of like, you know, I do a retrospective with every single search that I do to better understand like what were the the barriers? Um, where could we have done better? And I survey the clients and I survey the hiring team and I survey all of the candidates as much as we can as well to better understand where can we improve? And it's a constant evolution. Okay. Well, great stuff. I mean, I think We've tackled the intake strategy and call process, and we've pretty much cracked that. So let's move on. Um, the interview process and how you coach your clients to perform effective and successful interviews is also a big part of what you do, especially with startups, isn't it? And um, I, I think a lot of companies still tend to interview candidates with the mindset that everyone who comes in for an interview desperately wants to get the job at the outset, which, <laughs> as most recruiters know, is often not the case, especially with some of the best talent out there because they have options and they also have opinions and standards about things like mission, purpose, and culture. So before we get into how you coach your clients to perform interviews, how do you educate your clients to understand that the entire interview process is as much about showcasing the opportunity mm-hmm. and all that it encompasses as it is about determining the suitability of the candidate for any specific role? That's a great question. Um, so essentially, we'll have the conversation about the current market trends. Um, you know, what does the current candidate pool look like? What is the competition? Uh, and, and really defining what does the candidate get out of this opportunity? What makes it special? And so that information, I'm asking questions to them specifically to get that seed planted in their mind of why would they care about this role? Why would they care about this role in comparison to the other 500 that are posted online? Um, And if you want like a LeBron James, are you ready to pay for and treat LeBron James like a a Hollywood star if you hire them? And so it's trying to get them to understand, like you said, that this is a two-way street. 
Um, I think it is typically multiple conversations and it's daily conversations. You know, we have scorecards they'll fill out and we can dig into that more too. I agree. I think the best way to teach anybody anything is to ask them questions and have them arrive at the same conclusion that you've arrived at. And I think that's a much more effective way of, of, of getting anything across the line. Um, but sometimes I just want to say to a client, you need to do a much better job of selling this opportunity through the interview process and stop treating everybody as if they're desperate for this job because they're not. They've got options. And okay, the market's softened up a little bit right now, but for good candidates, this is always going to be the case. And for any kind of candidate, this is always going to be a case. People do have options. But most importantly, you know, clients, I think, and hiring managers just need to recognize that the way, the style, the mindset with which they go about recruiting is just as important as, you know, the incisive questions that they're asking. It's not supposed to be the Spanish Inquisition. It's supposed to be, you know, a conversation where both parties get something out of the, of the whole deal. And um, both parties are left feeling, wow, this is, this is something I'd love to explore further. That's kind of what I'm saying. I agree. Yeah, my approach is definitely like it would be with any other relationship. You know, it's it's this is a, a two way street. Um, if both parties give fifty percent, you're still only giving fifty percent, so give it a hundred. You know, be transparent. Um, and not only like selling yourself and the role to these candidates. Again, you don't want to do a hook and bait. You don't want them to feel like it's a hook and bait. You know, be transparent. Are they going to dislike parts of this job? That doesn't mean they're going to run away the moment you bring them up. Um, you know, if, if you've had issues in the past with with leadership or transparency and you're overcoming it, it's speaking to those, you know, potential negatives um, as long as you have an action plan for how to fix them or what you're doing to fix them. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. That's a very good point. I think it's important to point out the negatives. You know, if it's an early stage startup, there might not be a lot of organization. You might have to figure out for yourself what you need to be doing on a daily basis because there might not be anybody there to tell you. And so there are completely different work cultures. And I think understanding the negatives or the challenges, if you like, okay. is just as important a way to sell the opportunity as the superlatives and how wonderful it is and, you know, the free lunch and the, yes. the wonderful people, et cetera. I, I think it really is important to get your head around, to make it realistic, because people just don't believe that work can just be a complete bed of roses, do they? They don't. And I think that there is... There's a lot of, you know, debate on specifically in, in social media now about will you ever find a job that you absolutely love and adore? Do you get up every morning wanting to go to work? Likely not. Uh, you probably wouldn't do it for free. Right. So it's understanding that there's going to be pros and cons. Um, I've worked for. Well, I think some people do, but I mean, not that many. Not but, that many. Um, I mean, if you're a judge on American Idol, I think that's a pretty easy job. I'd love to do that all day long. That's fair. That's fair. But how many hours of makeup did they sit in before they got to go out there? And that was probably <laughs> miserable. <laughs> so. Yeah. I'll take the makeup any day. If I could just sit around judging people, that'd be great. Yeah. Well, what are the sort of temp poles? Um, you know, we, we've covered that, you know, you need to do a bit more selling and not just buying, but what are the actual tactical temp poles that you introduce clients to in order to avoid stuff like duplication and bias and all that kind of stuff? And so that the candidate gets a really structured experience through the entire interview process, but also allows the interview panel to scorecard um, fairly and squarely. 
That's great. So basically what we do with the information that we pull from the intake meeting um, and and probably follow up conversations as well, because we do work with them async on a daily basis, essentially, um, is build this scorecard. And the scorecard is essentially the top you know, three to five outcomes that we want this person to be able to deliver um, within the role over the first year and then some. Uh, we prioritize those. What's the most important that they need to have? And, and then it goes down the line. And the way that I build out these structures to make sure there's no redundancy, to make sure there is a, is a little amount of room for you know bias or anchor bias or random, what would you do or what would you take to an island if you were stranded for three-day questions into the interview process, um, is essentially listing out the required competencies or experience or capabilities that are required to deliver on these outcomes. And if that means that they're coming from a certain background or they have experience doing certain things, it's listing those out. It's then building a very structured interview process. We always start with a you know recruiter screen to really go over a high level of everything. We verify they're in the right compensation range. We verify basically their interest. Uh, we make sure that they have the the main things that they need to have before moving them forward. But the hiring manager has the first interview and it's a deep dive into their background. It's really understanding what they did in their last role or their current role. Um, it's verifying very certain things. And then we have a structured you know, panel interviews. And each one of these interviews that we hold or host and write scripts for are based on those outcomes. And they're designed to not be repetitive. And typically what we'll do is have like a kickoff call with the full hiring team to go over that process before the interviews begin uh, to make sure we're on the same page. And I make myself available, you know, for random questions. If I I get two or three scorecards from the team and they're adding questions or they're not getting the right types of answers that we're looking for, then we'll go back in and, and reevaluate how how do we change this? And so it will evolve, but we do push for under four hours for the full interview process. We we push for getting a candidate through within a 14-day period of their first conversation, um, and it's to stay competitive. And if there's going to be delays, let the candidate know. And it's, you know, you're, you're building a relationship with this person. So I make sure they know everything up front and I give basically handheld white glove service through the entire process. You know, if I don't have feedback, I let them know I don't have feedback yet. Right. And do you provide questions that help the interview panel interview for like problem solving ability or adaptability or resilience or communication skills beyond just the technical experience that they're looking for? Absolutely. Um, the, the questions that we try to provide will be based on, you know, again, the outcomes. So we start there when we're building them. The main objective for me when I'm writing these scripts, I, I do them in tandem with the team because I might not be a subject matter expert like some of the folks on the team are, um, is to ask non-leading questions and to ask questions that are measurable. So if I want to understand, you know, how someone handles complex problem solving, I ask them to explain a time where they had to solve a complex problem that's, you know, again, specific to this role. But I don't ask the leading questions like, tell me when you've solved a complex problem, because it's just, it doesn't make sense. I'm leading them. So I'm just going to try to listen for really deep, in-depth understanding of, of what their work is. I try to understand what some of the biggest challenges are for the candidates. And so some of the questions are, you know, in in your current role, what were you hired to do? Um, and, and 
what do the role look like by the time you left? Right. But the key to all of this is that you have a question strategy or you develop scripts uh-huh. that are then distributed across the entire interview panel that avoid duplication, try and avoid bias by their structured nature and deliver on the attributes that ultimately the organization is looking to hire for you. Yeah, absolutely. And and typically like a final round interview in one of the processes that I will build. And again, there are going to be one-off cases where the structure is slightly different, but you know, the final interview, some folks call it a flourish interview or bar raiser uh, or values interview, but it should be with either, you know, the hiring manager or in some instances, the founder, the president, CEO. And really that's the one that we're going to ultimately be able to ask them, you know, now what you know about this job, like what you know about the team, you know, what questions do you have? Does this still make sense to you? And you can also really dig in there on culture and mission alignment and understanding, you know, does this person want to work with these people? Would it would it make sense for them? And it's really getting their feedback as well. Uh, and I think that final interview is really important. So I do try to push for that, you know, really good conversation. It can be more conversational instead of structured, but it's trying to understand what their feedback is. And if they they come with no questions or no issues or no qualms, um, it, it usually means they, they probably, you know, are okay with everything, but we want them to come back with like, this might be difficult for me, but I'm excited because I like to push myself into those challenges or thoughts like that. Yeah. yeah I've always said to candidates when I've prepped them for an interview that you're better off asking questions during the interview than waiting till the very end. Otherwise it is like the Spanish Inquisition. And I think the best way to develop a relationship with anybody is through the questions that you ask, even more so than the answers that you give. I've always said, you know, a great question is even better than a great answer. And so, you know, my advice to candidates is always make it as conversational as possible. You know, answer a question, but don't be shy about asking a question after you've answered a question, if you need further clarification. And I think that way, you know, it's more of a sort of tennis match then, rather than just a one-way street where it's one person asking the question after question. And, and as I said, it's a great way to build a relationship. So that's a great note to end the conversation on. Hannah Jane, thank you very much for joining me today on Recruiting Trailblazers. It's been a pleasure. Let's keep in touch and we'll speak again soon. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. Excellent. Cheers. Cheers.